What's up, everyone? Welcome to what is officially episode number 10 of this podcast. It's kind of crazy to say, and it's wild to think about the fact that my first ever episode came out about a year and three months ago. It's been a wild ride since then, and it's been a lot of fun. Today, I want to bring you a little bit of a different type of episode. So rather than having a guest and telling somebody's story from the beginning, it's just going to be me. So brace yourself. I'm going to be talking about something that I'm really passionate about. And obviously, as you probably saw in the title, it's the difference between the connections we make on social media or just online in general and the connections we make in person. Intuitively, I think, you know, we obviously know they're very different, but I'm curious what makes them different and why connections in person are so much more powerful than the ones that we make on social media. Before we get into it, if you guys get something out of this episode, do me a huge favor, share it on your social media platforms, share it with your friends, leave a review and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference and it helps me get this message out to more people. So thank you for your support and let's grow this thing together. The reason I wanna talk about this is, you know, it's something I've been passionate about for a while. I wrote papers about it all the way back in high school. But if you follow me on Instagram or you know me personally, you know that I've been sharing a lot more of my life on social media, specifically on Instagram. And it started to have kind of an impact on me in a way that I wasn't really expecting. You know, in the beginning, it was a lot of fun. I was connecting with people and having conversations that I really enjoyed. And then slowly but surely, it's been probably about like three months or so, slowly but surely, my feelings started to change towards social media. I started to kind of feel like I was becoming trapped in it or reliant on it. And, you know, hours would go by throughout the course of my day and I wouldn't even really know where they went. And it wasn't until I was reflecting during a conversation I was having with some friends the other day that I really started to think a little bit more deeply about it. And that's what ultimately led me to want to put this episode out and do the research for it and, and put it together. So that's kind of how we ended up here. And I'm excited to get into it. So let me just start by talking about a trap that I think a lot of us, including myself, fall into when it comes to social media. A lot of us, I think, either subconsciously or consciously, believe that the cure to loneliness, when we're feeling bored or lonely throughout the day, that's a whole other conversation, you know, the difference between boredom and loneliness. But for the sake of this episode, we'll just say, we think the cure to loneliness is to pick up our phone and scroll through social media. That's just kind of our default. That's where we've ended up today. And I'm guilty of this just as much, maybe even a little bit more than other people. But in fact, what I've found, and after doing a lot of reflection and a lot of reading, is that actually the exact opposite is true. And I'll explain why in this episode. So it's definitely no secret that social media has negative effects on our mental health. There is plenty of research out there. We hear the conversations every day. People preach it on podcasts, in YouTube videos. We even talk about it amongst ourselves. But considering how much a majority of people, including myself, still struggle to keep their use of social media under control, it's pretty obvious that just like we see with smoking or eating junk food, simply telling people that something is bad for them isn't enough to get them to actually stop doing it. So for me personally, I know that I do better with visuals or specific examples or concrete evidence-backed conclusions about why I should or should not do something. So in this case, if I should cut back on my use of social media, but try to have more in-person conversations or interactions, 
why exactly is that the case? And maybe if I know what's actually going on when I'm doing both of those things, it can help paint a picture and encourage me to take action. In this particular case, the first thing I'm interested in is how social media is bad for us. So what negative implications does it actually have? And then why is it bad for us? So why does it have those negative implications? What causes them? So when we think about the how, you know, how social media is bad for us, what negative implications it has, we could take this in a lot of different directions, but for simplicity, I'm gonna focus on three things. And these are the things that have come up in the research that I read in preparing for this episode. And I think they're things that a lot of us can relate to and they're words that come up a lot in conversation nowadays anyway. So the three things are, it causes depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Just to kind of highlight this and to back it up with a little bit of, of research, there was a study done at the University of Pennsylvania in December of 2018, where 143 undergrads were randomly assigned to either limit Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat use to 10 minutes per platform per day, or to use social media as usual for three weeks. And what this study found was the students who limited the use of each platform showed significant reductions in their loneliness and depression over the course of the three-week study compared to the students who kept their usage the same. So that right there kind of highlights how social media use can increase depression and loneliness the more that you use it. So one thing that was really interesting about this study was that both groups, so both people who limited their use of each platform and people who kept their usage the same, actually saw reductions in anxiety over the course of the three-week study. What this showed and what they talked about in the paper was that even just being aware of your social media usage can actually help with your mental health, specifically anxiety in this case, but I'm sure there are a lot of other benefits as well. So that's the how. And then when we think about the why, I'm gonna to refer to another study that explains the why. There were three things that came up in a study that talked about passive social media usage. So just kind of scrolling about without actually engaging. And the three things that came up were people's propensity to do something called doom scrolling. This was something I'd never heard of, but essentially what it is, is when we get sucked into something like a negative news story on Facebook or Instagram, and we continue to scroll because we're just kind of locked in. Whatever has drawn our attention is kind of latched onto our fear or our emotion, whether that's sad or anxious or whatever it is, we tend to scroll to continue reading the stories and getting more details. And I don't think it's any secret. If you're a reasonable person, you can see exactly why something like this would cause depression or anxiety or loneliness. And the second thing that happens is we tend to compare ourselves to others. The more that we use social media, the more that we compare our situation to other people's. And a quote that I really like is from a guy named Steve Furtick, and it says, we compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. This quote really resonates with me, and I think it really puts things into perspective. Something I was thinking about as I was kind of writing the script and doing the research for this is, just bear with me here. So if you follow a thousand people on Instagram, what you're getting basically in your feed is 1,000 people's highlight reels. You know, maybe it's their daily highlight, maybe it's their weekly highlight, whatever it is. But let's just say, for example, each of those people takes one great vacation every year and they post about it. So if you follow a thousand people, there's a there's 365 days in a year, you're essentially getting just under three people's highlight reels, annual highlight reels every single day. 
So you're seeing the highlight of somebody's year almost three times every single day. And when you think about it, you know, you are sitting, for the most part, we're sitting at our desk at home or in our office or we're spending our weekend going out, but we're in the same city. You know, our behind the scenes can be sleeping in until 10 a.m. on Sunday. Meanwhile, somebody else is vacationing in Bora Bora and you wake up to see their Instagram story with crystal clear blue water and a white sand beach. You know, of course, that's not going to make you feel great. If you have the tendency to compare your situation to somebody else's without consciously thinking about this kind of thing that I'm talking about, it's a really dangerous cycle. So anyways, I got kind of carried away with that one. But you understand the point. Comparing yourself to others is not healthy. And of course, it can lead to something like anxiety or loneliness. And the third thing is addiction. And we're all familiar with the idea that social media kind of operates like a slot machine. Every time you refresh your page or your feed, you're hoping to get a little notification or see that somebody liked your post or that you got a message. You know, you get a little hit of dopamine every single time something like that happens. And social media, you know, I don't know if a lot of you remember this, but back in the day, before the algorithmic feed that we have nowadays, we were, at least on Instagram, we had a chronological feed. So we got people's posts on our feed based on the timing of when they post it. Somebody posted five seconds ago, you'd see that at the top of your feed. And if somebody posted three days ago, it would be at the bottom. But with this shift to an algorithmic feed, yes, obviously it was to cater the posts that we see to our interests, but it also allows the platform to constantly refresh. Because you know we've all seen how when we refresh our feed on Instagram, or we click that little button that comes down from the stories that says new posts, it shows us stuff sometimes from like three days ago when we refresh. And that's not an accident. It's new to us because we haven't seen it before, but it's not a new post. So in theory, what this means is that you could sit there and refresh and consistently get new posts, at least new to you, for I don't even know how long, days, weeks, months, you know, it's kind of an indefinite cycle. And I know that this has hooked me because as soon as I start to get bored on my timeline or I start to run out of stories or something like that, which rarely happens anymore because there's so many. But as soon as I start to get bored, this little ribbon kind of pops down or this little pop-up and it says new posts. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, another hit of dopamine. Let's refresh the page. So it's dangerous. It sucks you in. This is how I think I've spent so much time on the platforms without actually knowing where that time is going. So, okay, I got kind of carried away with that one too. So we understand that social media has negative implications. And those implications are that it causes depression, anxiety, and loneliness, among other things. And the three reasons are because we tend to doom scroll, it creates addiction, and we compare ourselves to others. So one big question that I had recently was, and this is something that I kind of talked about in the beginning, why don't the connections that we make on social media fulfill us like the connections that we make in person? So, and now I'm talking about even the positive interactions or the positive connections that we have or that we make on social media. You know, we call both in-person and online experiences connecting, and I say that in quotes, but one of them causes depression and the other quite literally seems to be the essence of human existence. So what's the difference? And we just talked about what happens when we scroll. Now I want to talk about what can happen when we have the in-person experiences with other people. And if we think back to the lockdown, 
And this is how I really came to understand that they were definitely extremely different. If the connections that we make on social media and the connections that we make in person were the same, right? So they had the same impact or that they caused the same experiences, then in theory, lockdown wouldn't have made us feel lonely, right? Because we would have been able to fill that void of in-person social interactions that we weren't getting during lockdown with our online connections. But it's no secret that wasn't the case. I think we all know that. So very simply, a high-level answer to this question that I came across was from an article that was written by Michael Prinzing and Barbara Fredrickson, who we'll talk more about later as well. And in this article, they referenced a study where they found that during the pandemic, social interaction quality is associated with better overall mental health, but social interaction quantity is not. In other words, socializing is good for people only when they experience positive connections with each other. That seems like something that's really obvious, but it's a very important distinction. We get a lot of quantity on social media, but probably not a lot of quality. That's obviously going to differ depending on how you interact on the platforms and how you use them. But just as a general statement, this is a big difference. But this also begs the question, what makes for a quality social interaction? And this is kind of where we get into the major difference between online and in-person connections. Barbara Fredrickson, who was a co-author of that article that I just referenced and is kind of a pioneer in positivity research and positive psychology, came up with a theory, or I guess coined a term, I guess is a better way to say that, called positivity resonance. The idea is basically this. When you share a positive experience with someone else in person, three things happen. One of those things has to do with your experience, one has to do with your behavior, and the other has to do with your physiology. So the first thing that happens when you share a positive experience with someone else is that you both experience positive emotions. So you share those emotions and you experience them together. Number two is that you both show what Fredrickson calls caring nonverbal synchrony. Basically what this means is One person smiles or leans forward and the other person smiles or leans forward. You kind of mirror each other's body language. And these actions indicate that you both care for the other person and what they have to say. And the third thing is that you both undergo biological synchrony. So same idea as number two, but this has to do with your physiology. So rather than your body language or behavior, this is how your body actually operates. So these would be things like each person's heartbeats syncing up, the same parts of your brain's firing, both of your breathing slowing down, etc. The important implication of positivity resonance and what you get from an in-person interaction that's positive that you don't get from an online interaction that's positive is that when you experience positivity resonance, it essentially amplifies your positive experience. And they show this in a lot of different studies, but they found that shared laughter is more pleasant than unshared laughter. Playing games in a social setting is more pleasant than playing alone. And even something like eating chocolate is more pleasurable in a social context than it is eating it by yourself. So that's something that's very important. That's a difference that I think can't be overstated. It's something that you can get from an in-person experience, but you can't get online. It goes even deeper than this. And a couple of things that I think that's really powerful about positivity resonance, in addition to the fact that it amplifies your positive emotions and it amplifies your positive experience, is that it works the same with a stranger as it does with your best friend or your significant other or a family member. So what this means is that you can reap the benefits of positivity resonance even just by interacting with a stranger, like on a train on your commute to work or somebody who's passing by who smiles at you, somebody you start up in a conversation with at the grocery store. 
That is absolutely crazy to me. And I think it really just highlights how powerful human connection really is. And that kind of brings me to number two, which is the fact that you are connecting with other humans in the most literal sense of the word. So if you think back to what we were talking about, the same parts of your brain are active when you're sharing a positive experience with somebody else in person. Your body language is synchronized. You're both experiencing the same positive emotions. Your heartbeat slows down. Your breathing gets more controlled. Like, this is genuine human connection at a level that you could absolutely never replicate in virtual reality or on social media or even via FaceTime. This is something that is so powerful and can only be experienced when you are sitting down and you are looking at somebody else in the eyes in the same room. And this all works together because let's just say, for example, we're having a conversation in person and you smile at me. First of all, if we're in person, I'll be able to, you know, subconsciously immediately tell if you're smiling condescendingly or genuinely. And if it's genuine, what will happen is I'll mirror your smile involuntarily. And even if it's just a tiny bit, something that they call a micro expression. And when I mirror your smile, my brain will be firing in the same area as yours. So there's an area in your brain that fires up or becomes active when you smile. I involuntarily mirror your smile, your happiness, and then our brains are firing on the same cylinders. And that kind of starts up this self-perpetuating cycle where you fall into the pattern of positivity resonance and your experiences become shared and your heartbeat sinks up and your behavior starts to mirror one another's. And this brings me back to the very first point that I made about the trap that a lot of us fall into where either consciously or subconsciously, we believe that the cure to loneliness is picking up our phones. But let's say, especially if you're in like a public setting, let's say you don't have your phone. Your phone's in your pocket, you left it in the car, whatever the case is. You are that much more likely to connect with a stranger or the person who's checking you out at the grocery store or the barista who's handing you your coffee if you don't have your phone on you. And all it takes is a little smile or a bit of eye contact. And there's a whole other study that talks about how making eye contact is the most powerful mode of establishing a communicative link between humans. But the point here is just that it doesn't take much for you to fall into this pattern of positivity resonance. And then you think about the idea that you can have the same effect from a stranger that you can from a family member or your significant other. You know, the cure to loneliness is probably putting our phones down and experiencing even just these tiny little interactions with strangers when you're walking down the street or you're doing your your weekend chores. So in summary, really the idea is that social media creates an artificial sense of connection. It provides the quantity but not the quality of social interactions that you need to get the positive benefits from them. You know, and this is highlighted by the fact that you can leave a conversation with one person that lasts 10 minutes and feel full to the brim with energy and fulfillment if you are interacting face-to-face. Yet you can connect, and I say that in quotes again, with 100 people on social media over the course of an hour and still feel like shit. So, you know, this is no secret. This is stuff that we all experience. But I just wanted to bring a little bit of research to it, and I'll link all of the studies and all of the research papers and the articles that I read to put this conversation or this episode together. I'll link them all down below. So if you do want to fact check me or read these in a little bit more depth, then feel free to give them a read on your own. I highly encourage you to. I think this stuff is fascinating. And the more that you know about something, the more you can actually implement changes in your life to reap the benefits from the research that we've done. So all in all, you know, we are social creatures and social media is not a substitute for human to human connection that we need to thrive. 
At the very most, it's a supplement. It's something that we should use to share helpful information, to stay up to date with people in different places. It's a tool, but it is not something that we can rely on as our primary source of connection to others. For that, we have to be in person. We have to connect authentically the way that we were meant to before these phones and social medias really started kind of taking over our lives. That's all I have for you today. If you got something out of this episode, which I really hope that you did, please do me a favor and share the episode, put it on your social media, leave a review, subscribe to it. It really makes a huge difference and can help me kind of spread this message to more people and grow as we move forward. It means a lot. I appreciate your time and I'll see you in the next one.